The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, plunging Palo Alto, the tech trade second big test looming large now with NVIDIA on deck and overtime. The committee assessing the cyber trade and what's at stake for the whole market in overtime. Joining me for the hour, Joe Terranova, Anastasia Amoroso, Jim Labenthal, and Steve Weiss. Let's check the markets. We are red across the board. Probably know that by now. So, Joe, I'm going to begin with you because we, we build this week as tech's big tests, okay? Mm -hmm. The first one was Palo Alto. Mm -hmm. The second one, obviously the bigger one, Much NVIDIA, bigger. and that comes today. However, fail is the first test. That's the grade we're given Palo Alto, right? I mean, it was a fail. They well, failed to live up to the stock move into the print, the hype around the cyber trade. Whatever you want to say about the earnings themselves, the stock reaction speaks louder than words today. Put some words to give me some perspective here. If it was a football game, the score is 40 nothing, and they were a 10-point favorite going into the game. Why do I say that? Because fundamentally, I sat here with you yesterday and I outlined what the earnings expectation was going to be. Beat and raise. In fact, a very strong beat and raise. Billings growth of 16%. Well, Billings growth was actually 16%. But it was the guidance. And your response to that, mm -hmm. you nailed it. You said, well, they better deliver. And that raise better be really, really big. So that's the fundamental element that we thought we were comfortable with with this company. The technicals, I said to you yesterday, you began the segment by asking me about it. I said, look, I'm concerned about the cyber names. That's why I trimmed CrowdStrike. Mm -hmm. At the end of our conversation, I said, I think this stock, meaning Palo Alto, is nearly priced for perfection. So I was highly skeptical of the technicals. I never thought I had to be skeptical of the fundamentals as well. So this was an absolute 40 to nothing blowout when they were the favorite. You see the response today. By the way, just to be clear, I own the stock personally mm -hmm. at a lower level at around 242. The index has Palo Alto in it at that same price level. Um, and personally, that would be my stop loss because you never want to trade or turn a winning trade into a losing trade. So personally, I would exit there. The index will readdress at the end of April. Okay. Do we, do we need to reassess the cyber trade in general, given the rise in the stocks into the prints? Now, these gains I'm going to read you are all before today. Over the last three months, Palo Alto was up 40%, CrowdStrike 56. Now, Fortinet's only 31 and Zscaler only 30. But these stocks have ripped their, you know, outside of just pure AI, absolutely one of the hottest trades uh, of this year. Everybody's talking about it, got to be in cyber, blah, blah, blah. Do I need to reassess this now? 
Glenn Kacher was right when he was on with you on Closing Bell, and he talked about this, and he talked about that the valuations were rich, and he felt as though the trade was exhausted. And I think technically we all recognized that there was an overbought condition. But fundamentally now what we're suggesting is that that insatiable demand that has been driving the cyber trade is temporarily going to take a little bit of a pause. And, that, and that's clearly what was indicated yesterday on that call and with Jim Cramer last night. So I don't know. hundred bucks. I, mean, I don't, I don't do know. You, I don't know if you could say this is the pause that's going to refresh, and you could say, "Well, CrowdStrike will report, and you know, maybe that'll be good." I just think it's all about you set expectations as yeah, an investor. Right. I think the ex expectation that you have to have with the cyber trade is, okay, where am I in at? Am I in at a good level? If you are, then you you give yourself a little bit of the benefit of the doubt in terms of where your stop loss is on the trade, but your expectation moving forward can't be as enthusiastic as it was over the last three to six months. Where are the dip buyers? Where, where are they? Shouldn't, they? No, they should, the dip buyers should not be here for this because this was not just a technical breakdown. This was a fundamental breakdown as well. Worthy so of $100 the slide in the stock? Yeah. And some I, of these I, other names like CrowdStrike, as, as we see that, you know, the, the sympathy decline, if you, you want to put it that way, is, you know, pervasive across the space today. There's you know, a, a pretty good decline for CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike's, CrowdStrike's actually bouncing a little bit. Um, I think Palo Alto, yeah, I think the decline today is warranted because so many people were long the name. And that's when it, it was a crowded trade. Absolutely. How do, how do you... Anastasia view this? Well, I would be a dip buyer, not necessarily of this particular stock, but of the space more broadly. And Scott, you said, do we need to reassess the trade? Reassess maybe, but exit, I don't think so. I mean, I think what happened with Palo Alto is a little bit specific to Palo Alto because there's clearly a change to how they want to structure their contracts and some of the incentives that they're giving their customers. But one thing that you heard loud and clear from the CEO and also from the analyst notes that came out overnight is that cybersecurity demand is not going anywhere. It is still strong. There's no problem with demand. There's no problem with pipelines. And when I look at some of the industry numbers, cybersecurity spending is forecast to grow 14% this year on top of 14% last year. And cloud security, as well as some of the identity access uh, management, is about 24% growth rate. So I don't think demand is going anywhere. And, you know, did this stocks get stretched to the upside? They did. They were trading at a 40% premium to mm. the software space. But as they correct, I would be buying them. Does this make you nervous about tonight, the second big test? And look, we, we gave an F. Well, the market gave an F. We didn't give anything. The market gave an F to what Palo Alto delivered, okay? Now it's test number two, and it's going to be graded harshly. Um, they better beat and raise big. So, well, yes, to go up. I mean, not just beat and raise. I got gotcha. you. Beat and raise big. I'm in agreement with what you're saying, Scott, because just the, the rise that we've seen in this stock, and I'm not looking right now, but I think it's still 40% year to date. We're a month and a half into the year. Um, so there is still a lot baked into NVIDIA's stock price. I think there are, I've got to go back to Palo Alto Network to discuss NVIDIA because I think there's two explanations for what happened to Palo Alto Network in terms of its guidance. Either there's something 
dramatically wrong in the cybersecurity space, which Anastasia, I agree with you, that's highly unlikely. We know we need cybersecurity, and we know that the technology ecosystem is expanding and we'll need more security. Okay, so let's put that aside. The only other explanation that I can really come up with, and this does make sense to me, is that corporate IT budgets are finite. They're not infinite. You can't stretch them forever. There's only so many dollars to spend on IT. They're not spending it on Palo Alto networks, at least not for the next quarter or two. They're not sp uh, spending it on Cisco, at least not for the next quarter or two. Where are they spending it? Well, most likely I think they are spending it on NVIDIA chips. At some point that will end up with double ordering and too much inventory of customers. It's not where we are now. I do think, now listen, there's no way for me to prove this, but I think you'll get a modest beat and raise here. I don't think it's going to be enough, frankly, with 40% still year-to-date baked into NVIDIA's stock. But that doesn't mean that if NVIDIA goes down that there's something fatally wrong with NVIDIA. It just means that that is the dip that you should be buying. When I and others trimmed, uh, I trimmed last week, I know others on the show trimmed before that, um, it was always with the intention of getting back in, and I suspect that later this week the opportunities will be there to do just I mean, Wolf that. Wolf Research today talks about momentum is deteriorating in the SMH, and that's following a sustained overbought environment. Okay. Let's just say NVIDIA better deliver. Those are, those are their words. Josh calls the earnings, you know, Josh Brown obviously, quote, the whole ball game for the most crowded trade on earth. Okay. Uh, you could say, what's the most crowded trade on earth? It's MAG7, it's AI. It's whatever you want to characterize it in terms of talking about those stocks. Barclays on the earnings setup tonight, asymmetry likely to the downside. How do we want to think about this? It was the MVP of 2023. So far, year to date for the S&P 500, NVIDIA was up coming into today, I think about 40%. So that was the leading stock in the S&P 500. Um, this is a universally well-known stock. This morning in lower Manhattan, I dropped my car off. I got out of the car. As I began to walk away, the parking attendant yelled at me, hey, Joe, what do you think NVIDIA is going to do tonight? <laughs> Did. And my response was, I think if you're, if you're along the stock, it's time to sit on the sidelines and watch. If you need to be active, you're doing it in the options market. Mm -hmm. I think you have to have the discipline, if you are not long this stock, to say, I missed it and at some point in the future to reassess and re-enter the trade. Might be in two days, Joe. Could might be, be in tomorrow. It might right. be, but no one knows they that. They may knock it out of the park. They may not. Listen, this could I be think last May. So this is the conversation, again, by they the could. Way, Nobody knows. Nobody knows what Nobody the numbers knows. are going to be, and even if you had the numbers today, you wouldn't know how to trade it. You wouldn't. No. Well, if you look at the last couple of quarters, they did beat and raise, but the stock really didn't do much. And I personally think that we might get the same reaction this time around. Mm -hmm. This is NVIDIA. They're likely to beat and raise, you know, first of all, because they do have the history of that on their side. And second of all, when you think about hyperscalers and what they've been saying about cloud CapEx and especially artificial intelligence CapEx, they're in acceleration mode. And that's not a couple of quarters. I think that's going to be a couple of years. So I see scope for NVIDIA to come out and say, you know, that it's not just the 2024 demand story for them, but also 2025. Having said that, I mean, the bar has been raised significantly higher. It seems like once NVIDIA got to that 650 threshold, a lot of analysts came out and they raised their price targets to 750. So the bar has been reset. So even if they beat and raise, I'm not sure the stock actually I mean, rounds. there's like $800, $900 price targets. The options market, by the way, Joe's pricing in a near 9% swing on earnings. That's, that's a... $150 billion yeah. 
dollars yeah. worth of market. But, but to your point, Scott, I mean, the stock very easily could have the type of response that it had last May, where it went from 305 to 379 on the open from May 24th to May 25th. You know, th this there there's there's such a variability in what the outcomes could be for Nvidia this evening. But the one thing that I think everyone has to understand is that the stock is working off some technically overbought conditions. If it advances further, it will be even more overbought, and that overbought nature could extend over a, a, a period of time. The bigger question is, mm -hmm. what's the effect on the market? Do you get the broadening out if, in fact, NVIDIA takes down the technology complex? Okay. Uh, Weiss, I think we got your shot back, I'm told. Uh, so let's bring you into the conversation, too, in terms of what you think is really riding on tonight. You have now Palo Alto in the rear view. Stock's getting hammered. Um, the bar has got to be incredibly high for NVIDIA. Just to refresh everybody's memories, I just said the whole ball game for the most crowded trade on earth is how our own Josh Brown views NVIDIA. He's trimmed 20% in the last, you know, couple of weeks or so. How do you see this? Yeah, well, first of all, it's annoying to me. It's annoying because I didn't own the stock on the way up. And despite not owning the stock, what Josh is telling me is that it's going to impact my other holdings, Meta and Microsoft, etc. And I find that annoying. But putting all that aside, uh, I disagree. You have to go along with what the narrative is going to be. So the question is, did Jensen Wong telegraph to the market when he talked about capacity being tight, that the biggest issue he had was getting capacity from Taiwan Semi, which I own? If that's the issue, if it's, a, if it's demand outstripping supply and he can't get the capacity, it's a lot different than double ordering, than weakness, et cetera. But in terms of what it does to the others in the group, such as Meta and Microsoft, I don't think it does anything. You have to believe that the AI you know, evolution is going to die right here now, and that's just not the case. So yes, it's a very high buy, buy bar for NVIDIA, I personally think that if they meet the number and they come along again with the appropriate dialogue during the conference call, we'll be okay. Sure, it'll knee-jerk down, but it's not going to be a disaster. But it doesn't really inform what the fundamentals are for the other stocks, only for what NVIDIA is. No, but it certainly is. NVIDIA, uh, it, 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 <clears throat> it represents the mania, if you want to use that word, around yep. the AI hype. So while it, it may have no fundamental impact on the other names that right. you mentioned, it still trades part of that group. Absolutely. And it, it still Absolutely. could have an impact on the, on the near-term direction of those stocks. If it just forces people to rethink the velocity right. in which the stocks have gone up versus what the fundamentals actually are in the here and now, not on the come. Exactly. And I'm not disagreeing with that. If NVIDIA misses, Everything's going down. There's no question about that. But in terms of what bounces and how soon it bounces, I think you'll get a great buying opportunity in the others. Whereas I wouldn't take the buying opportunity in NVIDIA because it's still overvalued, like I wouldn't take the buying opportunity in Palo Alto. So NVIDIA is a victim more of the analysts that continue to raise numbers, even during the quiet period, when there's no information they can get from anywhere, from any company, because they were all in the quiet period. So that's what you have to be careful of, that momentum. So. Absolutely. It's a binary event tonight. Mm -hmm. Unlikely it won't be binary. But let's not forget, we also have the Fed minutes in between. So I don't think that really changes the direction tonight. Right. Not for the better. Possibly it could change it for the worse. But yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, I think you got to take a look at the long road ahead, not just the next few days. Yeah. Good points you make. Uh, 
Let's bring in Bill Baruch, uh, one of our committee members, because he is making a move in NVIDIA ahead of the print in overtime. He's joining us on the phone today. So you've trimmed NVIDIA. You've also trimmed it by 20 percent, right? You also trimmed yes. AMD. But tell me about NVIDIA. Wow, trimming it into the print when the stock is down, uh, what is it, down 8 percent or so in a, in a couple of days? It is down 10 percent from, from the high, yeah. Um, we, we did trim it yesterday into the close and when it bounced back a little bit. So I was very happy with, uh, with the sell price. But, you know, again, it has fallen about 10 percent. So I think some of the air is coming out a little bit, which is, which is you know, I think a, a good thing here. Uh, we trimmed it 20 percent yesterday. We also trimmed it 33 percent, about a third, um, ahead of AMD's earnings. So we've reduced this and really just monetizing the move that's happened. Um, I, I think with the stock was trading above 700, uh, we really needed to see a, a revenue beat and raise, but a revenue beat that was somewhere, you know, in the 5 billion range. Um, now, you know, just a modest beat on revenue, I, I think would be a good thing. They would obviously have to raise their guidance. But the stock's settling in, and if it trades lower, I have some targets to the downside I'm looking at, too, to, to re-enter the position or, or pick, pick more back up. Do you think we get dip buyers pretty quickly if this stock goes lower? I, I think there's some really good technical levels to look. I think the long-term story has not changed, and, you know, it, it's going to be, I mean, we're in the earlier innings of AI, and NVIDIA is the leader. Um, one of my fears, more than anything, is just an unwind. And I've talked about this a couple times. It, you have a tremendous call speculation. It's an easy way for a lot of, whether it's retail or portfolio managers, to measure risk, buy calls. Uh, the, the people selling those calls are market makers. They're selling calls and then buying stock. If this thing's not up 15%, 20% like it was last May, all of that gets unwound, meaning the market makers then sell their stock. And the retail or portfolio managers long the calls are now have somewhat worthless calls or massively reduced value of those calls. In such an unwind where the story doesn't change, I'm looking at maybe a 610 to 620 would be a tremendous place where the consolidated uh, at the late end of January, first couple of days of February before taking off again. I would love to, re, to you know, reestablish a stronger position at that level. Yeah, 610, 620. We'll keep our eyes there. Uh, thank you, Phil Baruch, for calling in thank and you. giving us the latest on your trade there. Other mega cap news, Weiss, Amazon joining the Dow next week. Walgreens, you know, see you later. Um, JP Morgan says Amazon remains their best idea. What do you think about this news? You own the stock. I do, I do own the stock and, uh, you know, we've had Bezos selling some stock. It's really just a minor sale and means nothing. Uh, he's probably looking to buy another couple of homes. Look, I have mixed feelings about it because I sort of like it not being in the Dow. Uh, because now there's another technical aspect to worry about it. But I do think under Jassy, we're going to continue to see just better improvement in terms of their ROI, in terms of how the company performs, in terms of being very focused and very cost conscious. So I think it's just the beginning. And then going back to AI, you're going to see exponential growth in the cloud and cloud tools. So that's really going to help reassert their business as a tremendous growth driver. So to me, that, when coupled with the fact that for all we hear about e-commerce, it's only about 30% penetrated globally. So you still have major strides there. Mm -hmm. So I think it remains a great story. And it's got, you know, the valuation paradigm hasn't changed. It's always expensive. It'll always appear to be expensive. So I'm just staying with it. Yeah. Uber going into the transports next week. 
Yeah, and, and, and it should. I think this company is going into the right places. They've done a lot of the right things. Uh, not, not having much of an impact today, but again, overall, the market is down. Uh, but but this is where it belongs for sure. Can we have a conversation too, just outside of this, about you know the the idea that nothing else is really doing anything in the market uh, other than tech? I know small caps were up for a couple weeks in a row. Russell obviously getting hurt by rising rates yesterday. It's down again by about one half of one percent. Dan Greenhouse of Solus sent a couple of charts our way, which I thought were interesting, looking at you know the other sectors that have been doing well. We talked about industrials yesterday, and there was a call, a downgrade on valuation because the chart has looked so good. But the idea that a lot of stocks in, in these other sectors have been doing pretty well, 50%, by the way, of financials, for example, are within 5% of 52-week highs. 50%. 42% of industrials are within 5%, Jim. So 52 week highs. So just before we go to industrials and financials, can we broaden the universe to the equal weight S&P 500 and just facts? OK, now the equal weight S&P 500 is up 2.6 percent year to date. Fix your mic. It looks like it's about to uh, take a nosedive. There you go. OK, I hope now that continue, doesn't bode please. well. We're not calling the live TV. Just go we're ahead. not calling the mic in video. OK, um, up 2.6 percent. That's the average stock experience through the first seven weeks of the year. By the way, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. We would be applauding that if it were not for the fact that the Nasdaq's up 6.3% during that time frame. That differential of 3.7 percentage points was twice that just two weeks ago. All right, so there is a broadening going on right now. And it should happen in the industrials and financials, in my opinion. Here's why. We know that this is the year that the spending from the CHIPS Act, the IRA Act, and the Infrastructure Act of 2021 are really set to hit. Um, so that's going to need financing from banks. That's going to need earth-moving equipments and all sorts of industrials, transports, et cetera. Those sectors should be performing well. There are fundamental reasons for them to perform well. Okay, I mentioned, you know, financials, 50% of those stocks are within 5%. Let me get to a move of yours before we take a break. Interactive brokers, you're going to sell it. You plan to Personally. sell it. Personally. Yes. It's, so, it's in the T. Yes. You obviously can't do anything there before a rebalance period takes place. We know that. Um, but you're selling it personally. Why? And by, and by the way, there is it obviously means it's going to come is, out of the JT. No, no, no. It does not mean that at all. No, because quite candidly, in terms of momentum, it is red hot, very strong in terms of quality. It's doing well also. Hmm. Why are you selling I it personally? Well, let's go back to when I bought it and why I bought it. I bought it in the first days of January. I bought it on what I was recognizing as a breakdown and a strengthening of momentum. And I said at the time on air, my objective is for this stock to get above $100. Mm -hmm. That is what it has done. That's the reason why I increased my exposure to this name beyond just owning it significantly in the strategy. I also wanted to own it personally. So I bought it at 85. I will sell it out on the close today and I will ring the register, and the trade did exactly what I intended it to do. Okay, so we will take that break, and when we come back, we'll just play a little bit more on this idea of, look, 50% of the financials are within 5% of their 52-week highs. One is not within any percent because it is at a new high today. It is J.P. Morgan. It's coming off of a, a new high. It's been a really great rally for that stock. We'll talk about that and the financials more specifically, and we'll do it next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. 
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. We are watching shares of J.P. Morgan. I mentioned there, look at that. Highs of the day. It's a new high. Uh, that stock has been on a big run, uh, Jimmy, up 46% since the end of March of 23. It's up 17% in the last three months. It's really outpaced um, a lot of these other names in, in that space. Um, the question is why? <laughs> why? Well, I think there's I think there's two reasons. One is you can just be bullish on the name. You can think Jamie Dimon. You got to tell and, me, and, and I, I'm sorry to jump on that's you. That's good. You got to tell me more than Jamie Dimon. No, I was. That, okay. You know what I mean? Not yeah, you. But I was. You. You got to tell me like the sit, stock's up for more, more than for just a Jamie Dimon. You sit know what I mean? Sit tight for a second, my friend. With all respect, what I, was gonna say I mean, is, I know what everybody says. All right. All right. Got it. So there's two reasons. One, you can be bullish on the stock for its idiosyncratic merits, which include Jamie Dimon. That's not why I'm in the stock. Okay. I'm in the stock because I'm bullish on financials, and it's the best name in the financials. Um, we, I'm not going to talk about the valuation of J.P. Morgan, the dividend yield. It doesn't matter. They're all attractive. The reason to be in J.P. Morgan is the reason to be in financials. You've got all that infrastructure spending going on. That's going to need financing. You will see, and probably soon, the capital markets really reopen. You've had some green shoots. I hate to use that term, but you have, and they're likely to continue. By the way, all this trading volatility in the markets does generally help the financials and J.P. Morgan with it. And lastly, as the Fed has now calmed down with interest rate moves one way or the other, um, it does appear that that helps net interest margin to increase overall. So there's a lot of reasons to want to be in financials, and J.P. Morgan is the creme de la creme. I mean, there was a, there was a period of time, I, I said, over you know a year where it dramatically outperformed a lot of these other names over the last three months there's been a huge catch-up in fact it's not the best performer over the last three months uh, your city is I know and we've talked about it a lot because a lot of people are talking about it and they're talking about what Jane Frazier has done in sort of reinventing that bank under her leadership. And I think there's legitimacy to that thesis. I think she has been doing this for actually quite some time, about three years now, and it's just been recognized in the last four or five months. Uh, she's cleaned up the international operations quite a bit. She's cutting costs like crazy. Now, what I will say is when you have a turnaround like this, and this is a turnaround, you can look at the prior performance before like October of last year and see that it was terrible. When you have a turnaround like this, it does take more than one quarter to confirm it. So you would really like to see the first quarter numbers and future guidance come in better than expected to feel this turnaround is intact in place. But right now, I'm not trimming a share. Mm. I'm letting Citigroup ride. It's very cheap. They're buying back shares below tangible book value, good dividend yield. There's really a lot to like here. Weiss, Goldman Sachs is, I know you have Bank of America too, but 
you have yep. Goldman, and, and this stock has been on a nice move as well over the last few months, right? They've got, you put all the issues behind it. They, you know, they, they get rid of the Apple card. You know, Solomon's not facing the kind of heat that he was a year ago. In fact, it's been, you know, sort of put to me by, by people that I've spoken to that he's putting a big foot forward and letting everybody know it. He's obviously not going anywhere. And the stock is responding. Yeah, so I think what's responding to is, look, David came out and, and basically did a mea culpa, said we went into these areas, let's cut our losses and get out. That's the size of management that limits your losses and allows you to focus on what's working for you, number one. Number two, they had a great quarter. Number three, as you, you know, up until the last week, there was optimism about the IPO and the secondary market and the M&A market opening up sooner than the latter half, the second half. Now, that's dissipated somewhat with Powell's comments and what, what, with what we've seen in inflation. But nonetheless, I still think that that is what will occur. And that's really where the juice is, where the high margin products are. So Goldman is front and center there. And when you look at their performance versus Morgan Stanley, it's kind of stark. And frankly, I can't explain it because Ted Pick is going to be a great CEO. But that's what Goldman's playing for. So it's a great option itself on what's going on in equity markets and with interest rates. So, yeah, so it's a much more important holding to me than B of A. Mm -hmm. B of A, be honest with you, I, I equivocate on it. Do I still want to be there or do I want to look somewhere else? Because it just has been a consistent underperformer for me. Anastasia. Yeah, I want to agree with what Jim has been uh, saying about financials, uh, which is I do think positive catalyst here at this stage of the cycle. Because, you know, first of all, when the economy, what's happening with the economy is economic enthusiasm is creeping back in. And the data is clearly inflecting higher, whether you look at manufacturing, whether you look at consumer confidence. During those periods of time, financials tend to perform quite well. And, of course, we do have rate cuts that are still on the table. But there's one other thing that is making me more positive on financials, which is the consumer. If you look at consumer and if you look at the delinquencies, they have been rising, but what you're hearing from banks is more positive commentary on those delinquencies stabilizing mm -hmm. and maybe declining as the years go, goes forward. So that means if they've provisioned for those loan losses, if for those delinquencies, they may not have to do quite as much going forward. And then the last point is that pickup in market activity. We do expect that more and more private equity sponsors will be looking for exits this year. We're seeing the leverage finance uh, deal activity pick up quite a bit this year. So more exits, more capital markets. That bodes well for the likes of J.P. Morgan as well. All right, let's get the headlines with Kate Rooney. Hi, Kate. There, Scott. President Joe Biden will sign an executive order today to give the Coast Guard the authority to respond to cyber threats and will require ships and ports to strengthen their cybersecurity. The White House says it will also invest billions into port infrastructure, including domestic manufacturing of cargo cranes that counter the uh, to, to counter rather many of the that China built in advanced uh, with advanced software currently in some of those U.S. ports. The mother of Russian opposition leader, meanwhile, Alexei Navalny, filed a lawsuit with a Russian court demanding that her son's body be released. According to a Russian state news agency, a closed-door hearing is scheduled for March. Navalny's team said that his mother had not been able to find where his body is being held. And Intuitive Machines' Odysseus Moonlander has entered the moon's orbit. That's according to a statement from the company. It comes ahead of its moon landing attempt on Thursday. If it is successful, it'll be the first U.S. lunar landing in over 50 years. Halftime Report returns right after this break. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. 
If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. All right, we're back. Let's get to Bob Pisani with today's ETF Edge. Hey, Bob. Hey, Scotty. Good to see you. After huge inflows last year in short-term treasury and money market funds, 2024 is already seeing some change in investor sentiment towards bonds in general. So what's in and what's out in bond investing? Let's talk to the man who knows all the answers to that. David Botsett is the Schwab Asset Management's head of innovation and stewardship. Schwab is the fifth largest ETF provider with over $300 billion in assets. Thanks for joining us, David. So we were at the ETF conference last week. We were yes. talking about this in Miami Beach 2023, all about short-term treasuries, money market funds. But things are changing in 2024. What's hot now and where should investors be positioning themselves for their bond portfolio? You know, what we're seeing is positioning more in the intermediate part of the curve. And in fact, you talked about short-term Alter short bond ETFs took in big flows last year. January of this year is the first month we've seen outflows. So inflows right now into intermediate terms. So intermediate to you is what, three to five years? Three somewhere? to five years, going out as long as 10 years in some cases. Okay, so what's seeing outflows right now? I know tips was really hot a year and a half or so ago, but inflation's going down. So. Yes. Tips would not be as popular, right? I mean, what, what's not popular? Where, where are you right. seeing outflows? Tips is not popular, so we saw in the second half of last year, tip outflows significantly. Ultra short, as I mentioned, seeing outflows in the first part of this year as well. Yeah, so corporate bonds now, we've had a huge rally at the end of 2023. Prices went up, yields went down, and they, the yields have been backing up a little in the last month or so. They, uh, they it's have. very interesting to watch that happen. Uh, but the corporate yields are, are great, 5.6%. Your intermediate-term corporate yield, 5.6% right now, and 43 for treasuries. Can you make a case for why investors should be owning corporates with a higher yield over treasuries right now? Well, I think what we're seeing is exactly what you point to, that yield differential. You're seeing upwards of 100 basis points in incremental yield for very similar duration exposure. So what do we do now? I mean, what, do, what are you telling? You've got a huge portfolio of, of, of bonds. You've got over $30 billion, uh, you know, in assets under management just there. What, what, are we, what are we dealing with right now? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of people and talking to a lot of people about extending the duration on the fixed income portion of their portfolio, getting that incremental yield from what they could potentially see short-term rates in the second half and of the year. And the reason year. you should not be so much in short-term and now in intermediate, just explain it to the viewers. Why should they be thinking about that? Well, because right now we're at a point where interest rates are more likely to come down than go up. We know that the Fed has kind of taken the, the, their foot off the accelerator of raising rates. So when you're in longer data duration and interest rates start to come down, you not only get the income, but the price appreciation. Good. Thank you for explaining that. We're going to have a lot more coming up on bonds and stock portfolio for 2024 and where you should be positioning that. That's coming up on ETF Edge today, 1.10 p.m. Eastern Time. David will be joined 
by Nate Geraci. He's the president of the ETF store. That's ETFedge.cnbc.com. Scott, back to you. All right, Bob. Appreciate that very much. Bob Pisani coming up. We have some other committee stocks on the move today. We'll give trades on Diamondback, public storage, and more. We're back after this. Black-owned businesses grew almost 5% from 2019 to 2020, according to the most recent government data. That's lower than Hispanic and Asian-American business growth. Experts say more action is needed to further these advances. Celebrating Black heritage, I'm Sharon Epperson. All right, let's do some committee stocks that are on the move. Uh, all right, Weiss, Vertiv Holdings, VRT. You tell us uh, yep. you trimmed three quarters of it last week, and now you threw in the towel. You sold the rest this morning with the stocks down more than 6%. What's up? Yeah, so look, this has been a great stock. And when I came out and, re- and said that I was in the position, I'd said I'd wait for a pullback to buy more because it's not cheap. But it's geared to the data center cycle. They make the cooling systems. So I noticed the volume was tracking very high, unusually high, and driving it down on down days. So I started thinking about, do I really need to double, triple, quadruple down on my exposure in technology, which even though this is a capital equipment company, essentially, is geared to the tech cycle? So the answer was no. So it was a great, great trade for me in a short period of time. And then today, when they reported they missed, it was a slight miss, the stock traded down, but then recovered nicely. But then start to trade down again. I said, you know what, such a small position at this point, I'm going to be really pissed at myself if I ride this one down. So I'd rather get out of it and revisit in case it has a meaningful decline. Okay. So it was more portfolio management as well as booking a game. Got you. Thank you. Diamondback, Joe. Uh, record intraday high they beat on top and bottom. 182.74 was the new all-time high today. Uh, stocks peeled a little bit off, but not, not much. You own this. Very rare that you could say an energy company reaches a new all-time record high. Uh, This company, which is in the process of the Endeavor transaction, privately held company, this is going to make them a significant player in the Permian Basin, and it keeps the independence. I think the one thing that's important to understand about this company is prior to the acquisition of Endeavor, this was a buyback story. This was a company that was taking 75% of free cash flow and distributing it to shareholders. They've said today that number is now going to go down to 50% of free cash flow. So keep that in mind. It's no longer a capital allocation story. It really is about their presence in the permit. You want to tell me about public storage too, which is in the Joe T as they beat? Yeah, so there, there are three REITs that are contained within the index. And the exposure to REITs um, has been basically zero until the most recent quarterly rebalance. Host hotels, public storage, extra space storage are the three names that were added. In the case of public storage, I really think today is more of a technical bounce than anything else. Um, Getting a little bit familiar with this company because it's a new holding within the index, don't see anything really fundamentally that would allow me to get overly excited you about like it. REITs, Anastasia? Well, REITs are, of course, the Mike contrarian play for 2024. They do need some rate cuts for them to actually finally work. But on public storage in particular, um, the places I want to look within the REIT universe are those that have the net operating income growth that is running a little bit faster than the index. And when I look at self-storage, the NOI growth on that is about 0.6%. So it's kind of towards the bottom you know, end of what I would like to see in terms of NOI growth. So I would rather focus on some of the secular growers like industrials and maybe some multifamily and data centers. How about Celanese, Joe? It's in the T. 
uh, they missed. I don't know what the stock. We see so the stock. The stock has bounced. It, yeah. It's had a, a remarkable trading range today. Uh, 137, I believe, was the low. Now it's slightly higher. It's up a little less than than 2%, up about 1.75%. But this is a chemical story, and it's been a good chemical story in 2023 and 2024. But more recently, uh, what this earnings report is speaking to is the weakness in Europe and China Mm -hmm. that is being exported here. And they lost a little bit of their pricing power because of that. Technically, though, today's price action keeps the strong momentum in place. All right. We do have some uh, key committee uh, names about to report their results. I know it seems all all about NVIDIA, but we have Post Hotels. We got PG&E. We got Intuit. We got Kotera ownership across the board from some people here. We'll trade them next. Wednesday. That's today. After the bell, host hotels Joe T. Now, this is the one, Reed, that I do have some enthusiasm about. This is Richard Marriott, chairman of the board. Um, You're getting exposure here to the affluent consumer through the portfolio of properties that they have throughout the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Ritz-Carlton, Naples, wonderful place. Um, I would expect a, a strong earnings report and the stock is trading near a 52-week high. Did you, re- refresh my memory, the, the, um, the other travel-related names that you had in the, in the T, you bounced, right? Liquidated Marriott, liquidated Booking Holdings. Expedia, do you have that? Expedia is still in the uh, index. Okay. Uh, PG&E is tomorrow morning. Jimmy, you own it, right? I I do. When you're building a portfolio, not every stock has to be a high drama, NVIDIA or Palo Alto Networks or whatever. Sometimes you want some ballast in the keel of your ship so that you're not swinging wildly from one side to the other. This is a steady eddy utility with actually a little bit of a story here. Four years ago, they came out of bankruptcy after a bunch of forest fires out in California, reinstated the dividend recently, exquisitely well run by the uh, management there. And I just think at this price, there's room to eventually increase the dividend and see the share price go higher. Trying to look at what the stock has done uh, because utilities, when I showed you that list at the top of the program about the number of stocks that were you know, within 5% of their 52-week high, utilities were at the absolute bottom of the list. Right. So remember about utilities that in 2022, they did very well as a defensive play in a bear market. Last year, they gave a lot of that up. It had a lot to do with Next Era Energy, which was the biggest utility, still is, and was way overpriced. So the whole sector came down also as people fled from defensives into growth names. Um, But at this valuation for PG&E, I think this is an easy one to own. Okay. Intuit is Thursday morning, tomorrow morning, Joe. It's in the Joe T. Added uh, last April, been very strong performer throughout 2023. Here we are in 2024. I think a lot of analysts are calling into question right now if there's exhaustion in the stock. Revenue is expected to grow at around 11%. That really meets the revenue targets of this company. QuickBooks division will be strong. Credit Karma, which is the loan division, there's some weakness uh, that's indicated there. This really is a stock that could go either way. And I do think it is susceptible to the technology complex if, in fact, it weakens. All right. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about two big winners, two big losers. We'll do it next.
All right, let's talk about two big winners and two big losers today. Winners, uh, Garmin's on my list because it's up nicely after the company beat uh, EPS and revenue. You own it in the Joe T. And this is a margin story um, added to the index last July. Margin came in very strong, gross margin at 58.3% relative to the expectation of 55. Buyback, dividend, strong management of the balance sheet um, with obviously some very powerful momentum recently. Losers, Solar Edge. Can we see that one? Because it's getting hammered today. That's after mixed results, a smaller than expected loss. Revenue guide, though, for the first quarter was well below expectations. We don't have any ownership specifically on that, but you have been looking, Anastasia, at solar stocks. That's right, because clients have been asking about it. Some of them do own it, and it's been a really tough trade to own. And unfortunately, while I think a lot of negativity has been priced in, I just don't know what the positive catalyst would be aside from rate cuts. The reason why the space struggled so much, if I look at the leverage ratio for some of these companies, the net debt to EBITDA is about six times. You compare that to a tech company where it's a lot of the times it's less than one. So it's a lot of leverage for these stocks. And residential solar demand has slowed down significantly because, Scott, if you're trying to put rooftop solar uh, on your house, you have to borrow money. And you're borrowing that at a pretty high cost right now. And by the way, the cost of electricity with that gas has declined. So unfortunately, while valuations have reset, we're still looking for that positive callus. Not seeing one. Weiss, give me something quick on Teladoc. It needs a consultation stat because the stock's getting crushed. <laughs> the stat is right. Yeah. Look, it, it's a complete commodity business at this point. Uh, I can't tell you how many, you know, virtual online healthcare provider companies that I look at. So no barriers to entry, no moat. Hospitals can do their own. So, frankly, I think the valuation is deserved and arguably maybe too high. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. I can't wait for closing bell a couple hours from now, 3 o'clock Eastern time. We're going to drive you right up to NVIDIA's numbers. Josh Brown, Bryn Talkington, Stacey Rascon. We're also going to have a conversation with the former Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan about what the Fed may do in the meetings ahead. I hope you'll join me then. Weiss, final trade. What do you got? I'm going with LIDAR. Stock has just been a star since they reported earnings. Again, this is really geared to the airports and TSA our, you know, uh, to defense, et cetera. So I like this name. It's still cheap. I'd buy it here. Jimmy Chalet. Uh, General Motors. Look, I know we talk about this thing being dead money for a while, but it's at the top of its two-year channel, and there's fundamental reasons for it to break out. You like Jimmy Fondue? I like Jimmy Chalet. I'll do Jimmy Chalet. Cybersecurity, going back to where we started the show, the the ETF is down 5%. I want to be a buyer. Joey. Looking for a breakout in the CME group. All right. Jimmy Raclette. You like that? (laughs) <laughs> That's better than fondue right, or Jimmy Cheese. <laughs> You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer. 
The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.